So let's hear the word of God as we begin. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a, what a great passage the Lord has given to us, the entire word of God. As we consider that this morning or this evening, I wonder how often we as the children of God, the people of God, how often do we live as if there is no God? How often do we forget God? How often do we live as some have used the phrase practical atheists, right? As I, as I look around the room this evening, there are, there's no one here who would confess that they are an atheist, that they do not believe in God. But how often do our lives seem to reflect that that's what we actually believe? We live as practical atheists. I think that it happens, at least in my life, far more often than we would want or that we might even want to admit. So, for example, one small way... and. Th- there, there's thousands of opportunities every day 
where this can happen in small ways and in big ways. But for example, and perhaps maybe a small way that this happens in my life is, is things like this. So I remember many years ago, Friday morning, time to go to men's prayer, and I couldn't find my car keys. And I didn't want to be late. And of course, anytime I can't find my car keys, it's someone else's fault, right? <laughs> the kids were awake in the house at school that time. And, and so what do I do? Do I go around politely, ask, politely asking, hey, anybody see my keys? Anybody can help me find my keys? Try Unfortunately, no. It's more like, who has my keys? What'd you do with my keys? Who drove the car last? And what am I doing in those moments? It might not, it might not seem like it, but I'm actually forgetting God. Now, just because I might remember God doesn't mean my keys are going to magically appear, but my reaction would be different. How I handle it would be different. Or what about times when somebody you love is not where they're supposed to be when you expect them to be there? What do you begin to think in your mind or feel in your heart? Often in those moments, maybe somebody's late getting somewhere, our mind can begin to be filled with anxiety and worry. What's happening? Where are they? Why aren't they here? There's things like that that happen all the time, multiple times a day, when we who are indeed the children of God, but we begin to react or act in ways that betray that belief. So it really happens anytime any of God's good gifts, people, possessions, or pleasures, anytime they become more important to us than God and his glory. We are living as if there is no God. We are forgetting God. Now, I think this is a universal problem. So it's not just me who does this. It's actually each one of you. But what does this mean? Does this mean that we actually are not believers? Does it mean that we're bad Christians? I don't think so. I think what it means is we're human. And we have weaknesses. It means that we all are needy. Yes, we are in need of a Savior, not just for that initial moment of salvation, but day after day, moment after moment. It means, really, that Psalm 40 is for us. Psalm 40 is for us today. King David wrote Psalm 40 when he was in a dark place. That's how people would say it today. Not when he wrote it, but today that's how we talk. He wrote Psalm 40 when he was in a dark place. He had been through very difficult times. But what he gives us here is a wonderful pattern for the forgetful children of God. It's a wonderful pattern for us to take up this cycle in a sense that we can live as children of God. I'm going to give you three words to help us remember this pattern. And somehow they all start with P again. I don't know how that just keeps happening. But it's ponder, proclaim, and petition. Ponder, proclaim, and petition. David begins by pondering or remembering what God has done for him. So look again, verses 1 through 3. David says, I waited patiently, or that could be translated, I relied completely upon. 
I waited patiently, relied completely upon the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So David is telling us about something that happened in his life and he's remembering, he's pondering what God has done for him. He, he says in verse 2, uh, he mentions this pit of destruction, this miry bog. So it's this combination of being in this, this deep, dark pit where there's no hope of escape. It's, it's dark, it's deep, he can't get out. And not only that, it's not only this pit, but this miry bog. Think of quicksand, where it's pulling him down to his death. Essentially, he he's stuck. He's sinking. He can't get out. There's nothing he can do to rescue himself. His only hope is from a power outside himself. If if someone could come and rescue him, that's the picture that he's in. And this pit of destruction is actually a commonplace that believers find themselves. We find ourselves in this pit where we need help from outside ourselves. We need rescue. We need deliverance. And we might refer to them as uh, a pit of sin or a pit of suffering. Those are two common pits that we find ourselves in today. So David, actually, later in this psalm, he'll mention his sin. And as we are familiar with his life and other psalms that he has written, we know there was a time when David was caught in the pit of sin, this this downward spiral in his life where sin was dragging him down. And maybe you're caught in the pit of sin today. Or someone you love is caught in that pit where one sin might be leading to another Or maybe it's simply that same sin, that same temptation that comes upon you and no matter how hard you try or what you do, you can't seem to overcome it. And you can even see it coming, but it seems like there's nothing that you can do about it. And that is what sin does in our lives. It's so destructive. I heard it said recently that sin is a predator. It's a predator. That's not how we think of it often. But it's a predator. It wants to destroy you and everything, everyone you love. I also heard it once said that sin takes you farther than you wanted to go. You stay longer than you wanted to stay. And you pay more than you wanted to pay. That's that pit of sin that we often find ourselves It sounds like a pit of despair, and it would be, but for our Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is actually good news for those who are caught in the pit of sin, and the good news is not in our own strength or ability to climb up out of it, but that God actually sent his Son to come down into the pit and to bring us out. Jerry Bridges has written what I thought was a very helpful book called The Disciplines of Grace, God's Role and Our Role in the Pursuit of Holiness. But in that book, he says that 
your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. You see both sides? Best days, never so good, you're beyond the need of God's grace. Worst days, never so bad, you're beyond the reach of God's grace. It's another way of saying all are needy, and it points us to the grace that we have in Christ. So, so that's good news for those of us who are down in that pit. I heard, or I read, Brian Chappell uh, is a pastor. Might, might be, uh, well, I think he's going to be moderator of our assembly this year. Anyway, he's an ordained pastor in our denomination, and he uses this illustration to describe this situation of being rescued from this pit. So there's lots of ways that we can think about it. But there's uh, a tribe in Africa, many places in Africa, where you know they don't have the, the simplicity, the privilege we do of just going into a, a room and turning a knob and all of a sudden you have plenty of clean water that you can just drink anytime you want. So they dig these deep wells to find that water source and to provide for their villages or their communities or whatever it may be. So there's the story told of this one tribe in Africa where they had one of these deep, dark wells and they can be dangerous because they're so deep and one time a man went to get some water and he fell down into the pit and he hurt himself, badly injured himself so that he could not get out. He could not do anything to lift himself up out of that pit. And no one else that was part of his tribe had the strength or the ability to come and lift him out except for the chief of the tribe or the king of the tribe because that would be the strongest man in the tribe, the most capable man. And so when he learned of this need, he came to the pit and he had to first remove all his ceremonial garbs, his big headdress and his robes. He took them and laid them aside and climbed down into that deep, dark well, that deep pit of destruction and lifted the man up and put him upon his own shoulders, took the weight of that man and put him on his shoulders and lifted him up out to safe, solid ground once again. And it's a perhaps simple but powerful illustration of what our Savior Jesus Christ has done for us who humbled himself and left the glory of heaven to come and enter into our sin and our suffering and take the weight of our sin upon himself and bring us up out and give us new life. So beloved, if you find yourself in that pit of sin today, be encouraged. There's good news. There's hope for you that there is one who's come to rescue you and bring you out. Well, sometimes the pit we are in is not the pit of sin, but it might be the pit of suffering. The pit of suffering. It may not be a result of anything that you have done wrong. It could be someone else has sinned against you. It could be your suffering consequences of someone else's sin. Or it could simply be the result of living in a world that is broken by sin. That pit of suffering. Sometimes people may feel overworked or underworked or out of work. We can feel hopeless and despair. We, we can be uh, worried about choices that our friends or family members may be making. We can be filled with sorrow over someone's illness or the death of someone we love. We can have these good gifts from God that we 
we want to be part of our lives, whether it's marriage or children or the job that we want. And for, for whatever reason, God is not bringing these things into our lives when we want. Whatever the case may be, that pit of suffering, we all have been there. And many of us may be there even today. The pit of sin, the pit of suffering, there is one and only one who can bring us out of those pits. There's one and only one who came to indeed do that. No, Jesus didn't only take our sin upon his shoulders. That famous passage in Isaiah 53, what does it say? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So there is a sense in in which Jesus bears and takes away not only all our sin, but also all our suffering. And that day when we will finally be on that solid ground is coming, when we'll never be in one of those pits again. But when we find ourselves there, what do we need? We need deliverance. We need rescue. We need help. And thanks be to God, we have it. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So I want to just encourage you. You might be in that pit this evening, but what should we do when we find ourselves there? We, we stop and, and we ponder. We remember who God is and what he has done for us and know that he hears our cry in the pit. As King David was in the pit, he waited patiently for the Lord and he remembers what the Lord did for him. So let's just look at those first three verses. What did, what did the Lord do? First, he inclined to him, verse one, he inclined to me and heard my cry. So the Lord inclined to David, he turned and listened to his, his cry. The, the picture is as when someone's attention is, is riveted on someone. There's no distraction. They're locked in. They're, they're zoned in. I am still, after this summer will be 28 years of marriage, I'm still trying to learn how to be a better listener, especially in my marriage. Even though when we were early on in our marriage, Amy was making it clear to me I wasn't the best listener. And I remember one time... Uh, we used to get the Sunday paper, the comics, and the coupons, and all those things. But I remember, I, I don't know if it was the Rose's Rose comic or whatever it was, but the little boy was talking to his mom, and the mom wasn't listening. And he said, no, mom, full face listen. Like grabbing her face, turning her. To, and that's what I need to learn to do. But that, that's what amazing God Almighty full face listens to us. If you want to think of it in that simple way. How incredible, how wonderful is it that our loving Heavenly Father, who does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, that He listens to our cry. He's not distracted. He doesn't get bored. He doesn't lose interest. He listens to your cry when you cry out to Him. And when God turns to you, as we continue, He hears your cry and He acts in mercy and love and faithfulness. Every time he acts, he doesn't just hear, he acts in mercy and love and faithfulness. This is what God always does for his people. Now, when you're crying out to God, where's your hope? It's not in the outcome, right? You may not know what the exact outcome is going to be. 
if he's going to give you just what you may be asking for. Your hope's in something much better. It's in the God of the outcome and his unchanging character. And you can know every time you cry to him, he will act in mercy and love and faithfulness every single time. In the book of Exodus, we, we remember this. God's people are in slavery. They are suffering. They're in the pit and they have no power to overcome the Egyptians. They can't do that. It's not in their ability. So what do they do? The end of Exodus chapter 2. During these many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. Full face. God saw the people of Israel. And then it just says this. And God knew. Now what does that mean? Not just, it means more than what we read in in English. God knew. And, And the Hebrew, and as you study and you look through Exodus and see what happens, it means he acted. And God knew. He acted in mercy and love and faithfulness. And what happens through the story, the rest of the book? God delivers his people. He brings them up out of that pit. So this is how God always acts. Now, it may not be in your timing. We think we have the best timing. God do it this way and, and this time. But it's probably not going to be in your timing but it will be in mercy and love and faithfulness. Amen. Lamentations says that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. So we wait on the Lord. We cry out to the Lord. And as we wait, it, it may seem long to us. It may seem hard, but it will not be in vain. We sang about that in that second song. Our, the pains of our lives will not be wasted. God's at work in and through them. And he is a God of mercy and faithfulness. Well, here in Psalm 40, God did not just hear David, he delivered him. As we continue, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. He set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. Let me back up there, the end of verse 2. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So that's in contrast to the pit, right? David, David was sinking down in this pit, and God lifted him up and set him on solid footing, new solid ground. And so David's remembering what the Lord did for him in his time of trouble. His life is now completely turned around from despair to security. Then he goes on in verse 3, and he mentions that. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. So David has gone from groaning and crying to singing and rejoicing. He's pondered what God has done for him. He's remembering the past faithfulness and the unchanging character of God. And then what does he do? Then he begins to proclaim. So ponder and proclaim. He then begins to proclaim the greatness and glory of his Savior. Listen to how he says this in verse 5. You've multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. 
None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. There's not enough time, not enough books to write all these wondrous deeds that the Lord has done. Verse 9 and 10, he continues on. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Now notice, if you have, you can see it, if you have your worship guide open there on page 8, or maybe in your Bibles. So verse 9 Begins there, he mentions the great congregation. And then again, at the end of verse 10, the great congregation. That phrase can refer to either the entire nation of Israel, the the great congregation of Israel, or it could refer to the, the gathering of worship as God's people come together. So it could refer to either. And I think the point is this. As we proclaim these great deeds of God, his glory, it benefits both believers and unbelievers. There's a witness and a testimony. And I don't want you to miss the effect of the proclamation. Don't miss the effect. Verse 3, the second part of verse 3. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So God uses this proclamation to strengthen faith or maybe to initiate, to bring faith as we proclaim the goodness of God. People come to put their trust in Him for the first time or their trust in Him is strengthened once again. This is one reason why at times I'll encourage you as you read the Bible on your own to ask certain questions. The first one being, what do we, what do we learn about God or what's true about the triune God? But another question I encourage you to ask is, who can I tell? Who can I tell? Do we proclaim? Do we share what we are learning? Now, I just I recently had the privilege once again to hear our brother Justin Kleiner share his testimony. And, and this happened in his life. And really, you probably all could testify to a similar experience. So when Justin was a college student, like many college students, he was... Uh, falling prey to the temptations of the world at that time. And the Lord worked in his life and, and that put him on a mission trip, right? That he didn't really want to be on. But the Lord directed his steps. And here's what the Lord was doing. Even though Justin maybe didn't know it or maybe even want it at the time. But the Lord was coming down into his pit and bringing him out before he even asked to be brought out. He was bringing him out and beginning to set his feet on that solid ground. And when he was on this mission trip, there was a dear friend of his and of his father's who loved the Lord, and he took Justin aside, and he could see what was going on in Justin's life. And he basically said to Justin, listen, you may have grown up in the church, but you've got one foot in the world, and you're trying to have one foot here in the church, and you can't do that. And he said, the reason that you are not following after Christ and you're following after all these other temptations is because you don't really know who Christ is. What was this brother doing? He was proclaiming to Justin. And the effect upon Justin's life is what we see in here in Psalm 40. So Justin went back and spirits at work in his life and he's reading Romans and he's reading John and his eyes are open to the glory of Christ. 
Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's what happened in Justin's life. That, this is like exactly how I came to know the Lord, in a sense. Now, I had the wonderful blessing of growing up in a Christian home. So from the time when I was little, uh, I knew about Jesus. And, and as far as I can tell, always believed what the Bible taught. But when I was 15 or so, ninth grade, I was reading a book in bed in the evening and the title of the book was How Great Christians Met Christ. So it's basically a whole book of proclamation. People telling their stories of how they came to know Christ. And the one just, the Holy Spirit hit me, convicted me. The man asked himself this question. Are you trusting in your own righteousness to be made right with God? And I thought, oh my goodness, that is me. I have never really realized how much I need a Savior. And it changed my life. As maybe for the first time, I had that understanding that I needed Jesus to die in my place. And that's the only way I could be forgiven and made right with God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Beloved, if you know and love Jesus, you have a story to tell. All of us, we all have at least one unique story to tell. The story of how God brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of death into life. And as you tell that story, God can work in it and through it to encourage and strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ, or maybe even bring more people into the family. So have you told this good news? Or are you concealing it from the great congregation? Are you restraining your lips? May God give us opportunities and give us courage to proclaim the good news. There there are people right now in your life who are in the pit, pit of sin or pit of suffering. And one of the means that God may use to lift them out could simply be your loving, faithful proclamation of God's work in your life. And your testimony to his faithfulness and his mercy. So don't keep the greatest story ever told to yourself. It's meant to be spread. Remember what God has done and tell others. So ponder and proclaim. And then finally that third P, petition. Here's how the cycle works. You see, as we, as we ponder and remember God's deliverance in the past, we are encouraged and strengthened to petition his help for the present and the future. That's, that's the pattern. Uh, there's those great words in verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. He won't hold it back. He will pour it out. We're strengthened in our present trials by memory of past Blessings, Not just past blessings, but also the future grace that God has promised to us. So think of, if we think of our lives as this timeline, not just our lives, but maybe the entire church. If we look into the past, what do we see for, for us and for the children of God? If we look into the past, we see a perfect track record. God has always been faithful to his people. 100%. No one who has trusted in the Lord in the past has ever been put to shame. No one. 
and you read through the scriptures. Okay, so we might not always see why or when or how God brings people out of the pit. We have stories like Joseph. Okay, so Joseph, he's in the, literally in the pit. But now we know, right? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, okay, we see clearly. That's why that happened. God brought life from it. We don't always see that so clearly. But if we look at the past, 100% track record, never failed once, faithfulness of God. You look to the future, you know, far ahead. The best is yet to come. What do we see? 100% track record. God's going to be faithful to his people. So now we look in the present and what do we see? What do we think? Is, is God all of a sudden going to have this downward spiral? It's not possible. No. He is faithful 100% all along the way. So as we look to the past, we remember. We have to do that. We have to ponder. Remember who God is. Remember what he has done. We can even look ahead to the future. All his wonderful promises in his word. It says it here. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. So there's that future hope. And as we meditate on those things, then we are strengthened in the present to petition our God for the help that we need. That's the logic of this song. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to petition your God today for the help that you may need. There's this cycle. Ponder, proclaim, and petition. I said it just a few moments ago. You all have at least one story to tell. And there will be more. You will have more stories to tell. You will have more stories to tell of God's faithfulness and His mercy and His grace and His provision in your life. This is the cycle that we live in. Yes, there will be more pits. We don't look forward to them. We don't ask for them. But we won't be left there. God is with us. He came to rescue us. He'll bring us out. He'll be faithful again. And we will give him praise. And we will cry out to him for his help and his deliverance as we face yet another pit in this fallen world. So you may be experiencing hard days today. You may be experiencing hard days today, or they may come in the near future, but that's not the end of the story. You know what you will also experience? New mercies. There will be new mercies that you will experience that you have not yet experienced. And you'll have a new story of faithfulness to tell. Praise to our God. That's how the psalm ends. And we'll just end by looking at this, reading it. Verses 16 through 17. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. So in a sense there, David is pondering once again. Rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. There's the proclamation. Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. And then the closing petition. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Amen. Amen.